What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode number five of the Inside Groove podcast, presented by Raised Eyes and Tubing. Nick Mumley with you as always, and with me again this week, Dustin Tanner. Dustin, you decided to come back, and uh, we're here <laughs> once again uh, after a crazy week at the uh, Community Bank 150. Uh, and uh, we were both very, very busy on, on Sunday, uh, but I think it was well worth it. Yeah, it felt like we were running around, and every time we would stop, something else would happen, and we just had to start running back around again. It was a really fan, you know, fantastic week of action, you know, great racing all around. You know, you had, I, I think you had a little bit of everything as a fan. You had, you know, clearly good cars being, you know, the good cars in some divisions clearly ran away with it. You had some close racing, you had some wrecks and it was, uh, it was a very good weekend for Thunder Road. And you had surprise winner in the late model race. So, you know, you had a surprise, uh, one, two, three that I don't think any of us really saw coming. So, well, I mean, for Brooks Clark, Marcel Gravel, Trampus Demers to all get podium finishes i don't think that's a huge surprise brooks clark he only races part-time at thunder road now because he's got the he's got a family that you know just keeps him from from being there every week and um but when he's there he's just as good as your corlisses and your therians and your demers and uh your scott dragons uh who this week i think kind of proved to us that he is uh even though he's in a pretty much brand new car brand new team um for todd ruda um you know he was very fast and he should be considered up there with those uh top dogs of thunder road but absolutely brooks clark um i i think is going to be up there you know every time that uh he shows up to the track he's always competitive uh he's won a he won a governor's cup uh last year i believe um and so or maybe it was two years ago um but Either way, I mean, Brooks Clark is absolutely a threat to win every time he comes to the track, and it really came down to him and Trampus Demers at the end of this one, Dustin. Uh, you know, and it's not surprising in a race that was filled with wrecks, two guys that I think are the smartest, cleanest, you know, most experienced drivers out there are Brooks Clark and Trampus Demers. Um, you know, they are going to run a very smart, strategic race. Uh, they do not make many mistakes. They can race around each other uh, without causing any sort of incidents, and they can get through uh, chaos. And they're both very good at that, and it ultimately ended up with them uh, running one and two. Uh, and, and so that's that's how the race ended. And then uh, Marcel Gravel, I guess you could call that a little bit of a surprise uh, for him to run P3, but... Um, you know, I, I'm not going to be, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I was shocked that, that Marcel ran, ran uh top five in this race. I mean, I went into this. Well, you and... know, the thing that I saw with Marcel was that that team really fought back. You know, they were involved in one of those early wrecks and that, you know, I think we posted a photo of it on both our Facebook and Instagram pages. But if you look at how that 86 looked, that hood was all bunched up and he, drove that thing and he kept battling and you gotta you gotta hand it off of that team to get a p3 with a hood like that right you know they survived the carnage it's it's always the thing you see at daytona where you got cars towards the top 10 that you know look like they have no business being top 10 and that 86 they just they did a really good job of just pushing forward and making the right adjustments and dealing with that damage and having a great run so yeah no i wouldn't say it was shocking to see him in the top five in general i would just say with how that car looked you know it was pretty scrunched up yeah, it was, and I mean, 
the the hood damage can affect you a little bit but not as much um you know as damage to other parts of the car will uh my surprise was brandon moody and uh brandon moody and in, in, in p4 on the day i mean he ran a very very good smart race stayed kept his nose clean stayed out of trouble and got himself a, a top five a top four in an act race really had a chance at the top uh, top three and get the podium um so you know that's a team that they work really hard uh he hasn't had the same success in the late models that he had in the flying tigers um and you know he is but they continue to work hard and every week they're there trying to get better and uh, i think this is kind of a culmination of all that hard work for them but um dustin i mean we sat there at the beginning of this race and 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 looked and and said you know listen i, I think that there's you you thought you th you were pretty adamant you thought it was going to be Corliss again uh as you as you said on the on the podcast last week you seem pretty confident in Corliss. i I looked up and down that list, and I think I saw 17 guys out of the 30-car field that I thought could win that race. And um, I mean, that's that's what it turned out to be was a, a total crapshoot um, with the way that this race went down um, and the accidents that were uh, that were abound and um, the multiple just changes of momentum and uh, dramatic events with you know top top drivers uh, that we all expected to come out and do really well in this race. Uh, you know, I think it, I think it was complete. Everything in this race was completely unexpected. Uh, there was so much unknowns and that's exactly how it turned out to be. And, and that's why it was a great race. Uh, so we have a good show for you here today. We're going to be spend pretty much the whole show recapping this community bank 150 because it was such a big race. I mean, there was, there's so much to unwrap from this one. I've been so excited to record uh this show uh you know we're recording this on tuesday night it has been uh really tough for me to sit here uh for you know sunday night monday and now all day tuesday um to just kind of sit here and not talk about what we saw and kind of save it in the bag you know all the uh all the comments on the uh, on the Scott Dragon and Kyle Pembroke controversy, which I don't think is that much of a controversy, but those were scattered all over Facebook and every other social channel. I had to hold my tongue from putting my opinion out there because I want to save it for the show. Um, but I, I honestly mean, think we should have just gotten in the back of one of our cars and just recorded a podcast there because there was so much that was, you know. I was thinking of all the things that just had happened when I was walking to my car and I was just like, there's so much meat on the bone here where it feels, it feels kind of unfair to have to wait two days to talk all this out. I mean, it's just, you could probably record a show on each one of the divisions with how much action there was on Sunday. There was. And I mean, with late model post race and, catching up with everybody behind the scenes and seeing, you know, what kind of damage does this team have? You know, what kind of stories do these guys have to tell? Like that's a post race for the late model races. I like when the late models run last because that's what I like to do be able to do is go down and kind of check in with as many people as I can and you know even if we don't do an interview for the Facebook and and social media pages just you know check in on the guys see how their race went you know what they were able to take from it I feel like that for me helps me learn a lot more about um about what's going on and how these drivers are viewing different 
things that happen on the track um, and you know that we can move that into our coverage so because I was down there you know with those guys and getting the post-race interviews and and all the teardown and bound and tech I didn't get to see a lap of the tiger race but I heard it was really good uh, you caught J- Jaden Perry in victory lane Jaden Perry obviously with a uh, another hot start he got off to a crazy hot start last year and they had car problems and ultimately cost him a chance at the championship um but they're off to another hot start jeff martin was uh great again in the street stock race last week he wasn't on the roster uh at the beginning of last week i showed up to the car show on saturday and he was there and so i'm like uh okay so jeff martin i guess just must have not put in to to be put on the roster this year for the street stocks but um you know he kind of took everybody by surprise in that series as well last week we talked about you know uh caden fisher's gonna run away with that championship with uh, jeff Martin not there, but uh, it sure Turns looks out like Jeff Martin, Martin is there. It sure looks like Jeff Martin is going to be here uh, and running for the championship. And man, he put on a clinic on uh, in the street stock race on um, on Saturday as well. So you know, it was just it was great action all the way around. Uh, we got a lot to unpack here, but um, before we do that, I want to talk about who we're going to have on for a guest on tonight's show. Uh, we've already talked to, about him a little bit. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to Marcel Gravel a little bit later on. Um, he got that big third place like we talked about in the Community Bank 150. Uh, you know, We're going to talk about um, you know all sorts of things with him. He's got a brand new sponsor this year, uh, and we'll, we'll ask him you know, what's going on, what it's like to kind of be that small family team uh, in – amongst the the big teams of uh thunder road racing and the late models and uh just some really good conversation with him kind of breaking down what he uh what he and his dad kind of uh are working towards uh with that team and how he thinks that uh he can be a champion in the uh at thunder road so uh, excited to talk with him later uh and as always tonight's podcast is brought to you by raised eyes and tubing since 1960, they've been among the best in the extrusion die industry. Call them at 802-868-2040 or, call, or visit them online at raiseddiesandtubing.com. So, Dustin, I mean, this was uh, this was one heck of a race. We have a lot to unpack from it. Like I said, uh, I want to start out, though, with the uh, with the Hoosier tires, though. Uh, obviously, this was – we didn't touch on it a whole lot last week because I didn't – I you know – Really, all I could come up with with was questions that I had no answer to. Uh, nobody really knew what to expect. I w- I certainly didn't know what to expect. So last week when he did the preview, I don't I didn't think that there was much that we could have talked about with Hoosier with the Hoosier tires because there was simply so many unknowns. But now we kind of have the have 150 laps on him you know two days of practice all the heats all the concies and a 150 lap feature um so i mean overall uh as a fan dustin did is there anything that you noticed with the with the hoosiers that was different than the american racers well, when i was talking with Jaden you know, after his uh shot flying tiger when the thing he said to me that really stuck with me was i thought i was going slower but i was pulling away from them it was really interesting to hear, you know, his, you know, he thought he was woeing up. He thought he was slowing down and losing speed, but he just kept driving away from them because he had figured out how to roll that, you know, roll that corner a lot better than everyone else. Cause he figured out 
I don't know if he figured out the tire perfectly, but compared to everyone else in that flying tiger division, I misspoke there a second ago, but you know, he, he had the best, you know, grasp on it. And he, and the driver, you know, didn't think he was getting such a big lead. He thought they were going to catch him. So it was really interesting to hear that type of, you know, he, you know, he mentioned to me that, you know, those tires, you know, the, the American racers, you know, you really have to beat into them, get into them to get to that sweet spot. But the Hoosiers, you know, they came in a little bit differently. So, I, you know, I still don't even think we can answer most of these questions after one race weekend because of the variables of the weather, you know, of it being overcast and, you know, kind of crappy on Saturday and then on Sunday it being still a little overcast, but, you know, you know, de- different track temperatures, you know, one of the things that's in our show notes, you know, it was kind of a one lane track for a while and you could tell who really had good cars because they were able to roll that top lane, you know. And it's going to be really interesting to see in a couple of weeks when it's a little hotter outside and when you should probably get, I would say you'll get a 10 degree temperature temp between this past weekend and the Memorial Day re, uh, in the Memorial Day uh, classic coming up here in you know, 15 or so days or whenever that is. And it'll be interesting to see just how much the tire changes then. And all these guys apparently are putting up really fast laps on it too, from what I've seen. So I, you know, I still think the jury's out on the tire so far. So good in my opinion, though. Yeah, it was good. I mean, there's no catastrophes by any stretch of the imagination. I think there was one flat tire in the uh, in the late model feature, 150 laps. Tyler Cahoon blew a tire, but um, you know that's not uncommon. That's nothing that didn't happen with the American racers either. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was interesting because, like you talked about with the weather on Saturday, it was a completely different day than what the Tigers and the late model saw on Sunday. Right before the late model features, and anybody who was at the track noticed it, it got warmer. Um, you know, the clouds kind of went away, the sun came out, and the temperature rose up a little bit. And comparing that to, you know, 20 degrees colder on, on Saturday uh, and completely overcast all day, um, you know, nobody was able to get a really good grip. And I think there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of cars that were a little bit too tight on Sunday. Um, were you going for the pun there, Nick? Were you intentionally going for that pun there, grip? A little. <laughs> I was unintentionally going for that. Um, but yeah, that's a good pun. Thanks for pointing it out. I didn't. I didn't even re- realize that I was doing that. Usually, I'm on top of those things, but not today, apparently. Um, but yeah, I mean, the weather changing Saturday, Sunday, I think, kind of made things a little bit tougher for teams. Um, but you know, it, it it worked out. I think the, that the ACT came into this race saying, okay, we've designed a tire specifically for our divisions. Um, you know, it's a brand new compound, brand new rubber. We don't really know what to expect. I think they're glad that there wasn't any sort of major issues once, you know, because... I, a lot of these guys talking to him in the first, uh, right before the race. I mean, nobody put in a, a run of more than 40 or so laps on a single, or on a you know set of tires continuously. Well, um, that's why I say you know I still think the jury's out because you know we had a 150 lap race and we didn't actually have a 150 lap run on the tire when you had all the cautions and the fact that you know practice you know you don't always run that many laps. So I still think we can't really judge this tire. Right, and and that's true, um, but you know I think that they did a good enough job holding up, uh, and I think that ACT's got to be happy that we're through this event and tires were not really an issue at all. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't hear, personally, I didn't hear any complaints about them. Um, I had a lot of guys that were saying, you know, it was uncomfortable at first, that we could notice a difference, 
um but you know we it kind of came to us you know through the as the feature went on uh we kind of you know settled in with it and it worked out um you know other guys i you know especially guys with with newer cars like i talked with uh with matt white and, and kyle pembroke about it they started on the on the uh first row of the, of the race on sunday um both of them told me that you know even with a brand new race car brand new chassis and a brand new tire that it really didn't feel all that different to them um and so you know some drivers had different opinions but i don't think any of the drivers had bad opinions so overall you got to look whenever you get it bring a new tire in for a series um the first weekend is you know you're kind of judging this uh, how the series is going to go for it right like you're not looking for okay how did it really perform for the drivers i think that first race uh, the series is just sitting there hoping praying that you know there's no issues with the tires and nobody knew what to expect going into this race but um all things considered i think I think the tour is, is uh, one for one right here. I, I think that it was a great success and um, you know, the outside line really came in, you know, this, this race really reminded me the way the tires worked into this track. It reminded me of a, of an old Bristol back when it was one lane, you know, the, the inside lane was a place to be. If you were up top, you were going to the back. Um, and you know, then it kind of had that transition, you know, with about, 75 to 50 laps to go uh right in between there there was little spurts up on the outside that where guys were able to get runs and make things happen we saw you know both brooks clark trampus demers pass each other for the race lead um on the outside of the racetrack so you know marcel gravel will go into it later when we talk to him about how you know he'll break it down really take a deep dive into what he was able to feel with the tires um, from his perspective, but you know what he said. What he said to me checked out, and you know that's just there was uh, there was little opportunities for the outside to come in, but you know early on in the race it was just one groove racetrack and a race to the bottom, and you know that ultimately caused uh, an, a pretty big uh, pretty big issue um, at, at uh, <laughs> the about the seal lap mark uh, of this race. So I mean overall. I, I thought I thought it was good. I had no problem with the tires. Um, you know, obviously we'll see them again uh, at White Mountain this weekend the, with their uh, start to the late model season and Flying Tiger season over there. Um, and then two weeks from now we'll be at Lee, and uh, you know that's 150 laps on a completely different racetrack at Lee USA Speedway over in New Hampshire, and um, you know that'll be another opportunity for it. And you know those are the two tests that we're gonna get to to see here before we go back to thunder road for memorial day classic uh, at the end of the month yeah no it'll be um really interesting to see how this tire progresses as the summer comes to it too you know because we haven't had a summer on this tire yet right we haven't had wicked high you know we haven't had one of those days where it's 80 degrees outside as the sun is setting and the track temp you know goes you know track temp swings 30 degrees based off you know what you have for sunlight and stuff so it'll be really interesting to see you know you mentioned the one lane racetrack. I saw plenty of guys, you know, trying to put the chrome horn to move people out of the way, but trying to also keep that, you know, level of respect when it comes to racing at Thunder Road. And it was really interesting to see some of the battles throughout the pack because it's like guys knew early on that it was a one groove racetrack. And if you were going to get past somebody, you would either have to really get a good run on the top and hope it's stuck or you would have to, you know, kind of move them out of the bottom. So it was, it was nice towards the end of the race to see that top lane come in. And I hope that that top lane, as you know, more rubber gets put on the track, 
comes in. Um, I hope it comes in better like it was towards the end of the race as the summer goes on. Yeah, and the, the other thing that I'm looking at with the tires was something that, uh, you know, Jimmy Hebert's talked about a lot, um, you know, on our show. And, uh, you know, when the tires first come out, came out, he was telling me he thinks he thought it was going to really help level the playing field at Thunder Road, where, um, you know, the the ACT regulars always struggled at Thunder Road compared to the the weekly guys. And, you know, overall, like, I, I think it really I, I think he, he was right about it, because you look at the you look at the top 10 results, Dustin. Last year, I think the only guys from the ACT to score top 10s last year at Thunder Road. Uh, were Hebert and Shaw uh, this year in this race? Ben Rowe finished fifth. DJ Shaw was sixth. Uh, Dylan Peo is eighth. I mean, all these guys were right up there. Derek Gluchaki finished thirteenth. Now, granted, there was a lot of cars out of this race at the end, um, and it was more of a battle of attrition than anything else. Um, but I mean, DJ Shaw had speed all weekend, and and Ben Rowe had a car that was fast enough to compete with the leaders all day long. And he, uh, so, I mean, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, to see that part of things played out. I was kind of keeping an eye on that in the back of my mind uh, to see how that would work uh, and if it truly would, you know, allow the ACT regulars to have a little bit uh, of a uh, – allow them to compete a little bit more with the Thunder Road guys. And ultimately, I thought that they did. Um, and so, you know, we'll see we'll see how things shake out from here. But, um, you know, I, I thought overall it was it was a good weekend for – uh, for the tires. So, um, you know, obviously a lot of people really struggled in this race. Um, and you know, it's something that, you know, we were talking about a little bit last week's show and, uh, coming in to this week. And, you know, I, I was last week. So, well, first of all, before we get fully in here to Jason Corliss, which is our top, my next topic here, I do want to apologize to Andrew Hill and the team. They came up to me all, all upset jokingly of course i think maybe they were actually mad at me i hope not um but uh andrew hill was uh he was like why'd you say that i work on this car full time and i was like well you do don't you and he's like we work on it one day a week <laughs> and so I, I i i don't know where i got that from i i guess i just assumed that uh the uh that andrew hill who uh, obviously is a crew chief of that car and really is the uh, the leader there that makes everything tick uh for that burnett team and uh i i guess i just assumed that he was uh you know full time on that car and so um no they they were uh, they were poking some fun at me there for for getting that one but yeah they they uh i wanted to clear that up andrew hill only works on that car one time a week which i'm not sure if i believe or not uh but one, yeah, that's, one, that's one 40 hour day nick that's how long he was no um We've, I've had teams, you know, remember, I've had teams mad at me before, and, you know, Marcel is on a show. He's been a good friend of the show, and I think at one point he really wanted to, like, he wanted to punch me at one point, I think. So, you know, you it's made good. Marcel, it, when we first started covering Thunder Road, you made Marcel really mad. <laughs> I made him I think, really mad. I think you accidentally said that his, like, because it, it was when they put the extra shock rubber um, in the, uh, or extra spring rubber uh into uh the car there and it caused them to get disqualified from qualifying and you're like oh well sometimes you know they might sneak one on there you know and, and i'm and i'm sitting there like dustin no don't say that and my and sure enough marcel texts me after the show he's like what's this dustin guy's problem 
And now it's, Marcel, uh, I would say, is a really good friend of the show. And I think, you know, it's uh, it, it, it goes to show what the, what type of track Thunder the road is. Right. Cause you know, you can, I, I can say something stupid. And once I know it's stupid, I uh, can be friendly with other people and we can, you know, build relationships. So, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they were just kind of joking with you when you, when they said they don't work, you know, they only work on it one day a week, but that's a pretty good car for only working on it one day a week too. So I think everybody yeah. at Thunder Road balances that too. You know, you got some guys who, you know, will work one day, work two days and be better than you think they are. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and so anyway, that's uh, <laughs> that's the way it goes. That's the new fact that I learned this week, uh, courtesy of the guys at, at Burnett Scrap Metals Race Team. So uh, anyway, talking about that '66 Vermont, uh, you know, they get all the glitz and glamour of uh, coming out last. That was so cool. Um, I don't know if you saw that, Dustin, when they had Corliss come out last it, once everybody was on the track for class day and they had Black Be- Black Betty playing in the background. You know, that was, uh, you know, there's some things that, th- that happen at a racetrack, um, you know, throughout the season where you just kind of have to sit back and say, all right, this is pretty badass. And that was one of those things. <laughs> well, you know, it, it because of COVID and because of the way the season was last year, Jason Corliss never really got that celebration that, you know, he, he kind of deserved. Like, you know, I remember being in the milk bowl victory lane and it just was like, you know, a couple of dozen of people and it wasn't, you know, everyone was having to be spaced out and there wasn't a lot of fans there. So, you know, this was the first time that you could really celebrate, you know, that milk bowl win, that King of the road, you know, all that. And I love how they did that for him. I think it was really cool to see that 66 come out last to see that 66 crew, you know, see that team, you know, get to actually embrace those fans and say, yeah, we won this race. We, you know, we run, we won this championship, you know, actually have that, celebration that was just one of those moments where you know i was i was actually on the wall next to another one of the teams um and it was just kind of it was just so cool it was just so cool to know that like this guy finally gets to have the celebration that he went out and earned last year so now that was a really cool race moment it was one of those moments where it's like you know we're getting back to normal pandemic moment right that was one of those where it's like okay i'm feeling a lot better about where we are this time compared to last year, because, you know, this time last year, we weren't even on the track. I think we were, you were trying to figure out if Thunder Road was going to even have a season this time last year. And I think, you know, I remember that first driver's meeting last year where Chris was like, Hey, they're going to give us one shot to get this right. Please don't mess this up or we're not going to have the season. And to have that now, that celebration was really cool for Corliss and the whole crew. It was, but uh, it ended up being pretty much the high point of the weekend for them as well. Um, it, it was just a weird weekend for them. Um, you know, I, we talked we talked them up going in. You know, I and and last week, you know, I talked about how I thought there was a chance that they might, you know, get close to that plateau of you know we're having so much success. It's kind of like what what else can we do? Um, and it kind of allows other guys to get in there. I don't think this week was a was a sign of that per se because they still ran really well. Um, but it was, I think it was just a a bunch of bad luck combined with I don't think they got as good of a grip to pun once again. I don't think they got used to the tires as quick as the other teams did because it it took them a little bit. 
Well, one of the things I noticed about Corliss's team last year is that he could really run that outside groove really well. Um, he can run every groove on the track really well, but I remember him passing a bunch of cars on the S because what would happen with Corliss because of the way things go at Thunder Road, because he was so dominant. Sometimes he would start at the back because of how, you know, the plus minus forks are when you draw a chip and he would be able to come around the outside of all those slower cars and he would make quick work of it. I think with the tire, with how many cars started that race, by the way, awesome to see all 30 cars start that race. That's, that's great car count number. Um, so the C, you know, see, I think what happened with Corliss was that, you know, he was, you know, for the first couple, the first 10 or so laps, you know, he couldn't get anywhere because he couldn't, the outside was not working. And then right as I think he was starting to make some progress on the outside, he just got caught up in someone else's mess, you know, and it's, it's really easy when you have 30 cars on a 0.25 mile track. Uh, there's not a lot of room when they start wrecking. And if you're in the wrong place, it's kind of like a, you know, restrictor plate track in NASCAR. It's like, if you're in the wrong lane, you're just going to get taken out no matter what you do. And that's what happened to him. So we didn't really get to see the true potential of that car. I feel like if he had not been taken out, that car would have gotten stronger and stronger as that top roof would have come in. And I think of all the teams that, you know, kind of got, got the bad end of the stick this weekend. He was one of them because he couldn't get the top lane going. He had the start in the back of the pack because of how everything shakes out, you know, mid pack. And, you know, by the time he was starting to move forward, he's taken out. He can't fix it. His day's over. Well, I mean, and it goes back to Saturday. They made steady progress. You know, they, they came off the truck really, really slow, uh, you know, torridly slow for um, a, for their standards. I mean, let's just taking a look at their practice session results from Saturday. I mean, so there's five practices on Saturday. They came out 15th, then 13th, then 6th, then 9th, and then 4th. So obviously they made a huge amount of progress on day one, you know, gaining, uh, you know, gaining, uh, 11 spots uh, from between the first and the final practice. So that's, that's good. They continued it into Saturday. Uh, you know, they were, they were second fastest on, or continued on to Sunday. They were second fastest Sunday morning in the first practice session. And then they were in the second practice session. They, they led the session. So from Saturday morning to Sunday morning, by the end of practice, they had made tremendous gains, mm -hmm. but they, they started, off behind and i think that kind of put them behind a little bit it didn't really affect them all that much because they came out and uh corliss got a as he always seems to do he picked it they got a chip that put him right at the back of the uh, of his heat race and he drove up and got a plus three and that was good for fourth starting spot and it looked like they were in for you know, a good opportunity to win this race. Fourth is absolutely a position you come from, but that second caution, I'm not sure if the if the top line didn't go or if the outside line just had absolutely nothing, but he dropped from fourth all the way back to I believe ninth, and that's when Dragon crashed. And then on the next restart obviously was the um was the accident uh, where he was involved and it ended their day, um, you know, right before they even took the green flag, really uh, coming uh, off of that caution. So, it, you know, it was a combination of, you know, they got off to a little bit of a slow start, I think, but I don't think that affected them all that much Sunday. But 
you know, it was just the outside lane. It killed them. You know, they they draw they lost that they lost touch with the top five, which you know, I mean, Scott Dragon crashed from the lead, but the top five is generally probably the safest place on the racetrack in, at Thunder Road. Um, and you know, they lose touch with that. They get kind of shuffled back into the into you know ninth spot, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have to have a restart, and you're in ninth or eighth or wherever they were and they start wrecking in front of you and you know there was nothing Corliss could do because it as it turned out Pel- chris pelkey uh spun was spun out when eric sands hit him sands went up in the air i mean that was one of the craziest things i've ever seen was the way eric sands car went up in the air uh down the front stretch but then pelkey was spun around everybody spinning in front of him Corliss said he couldn't see anything and as soon as he could see something it was it was uh, Chris Pelkey's driver's side door or the front of his car and he had nowhere to go. Um, and so, you know, just a tough break. Um, and, you know, a lot of people I think might take what I said last week about them, you know, maybe finding a little bit of a plateau um, with their performance um, and, you know, see, okay, they crashed out and finished in the twenties in this race. But, um, you know, I didn't see that. I saw steady performance from them or steady improvement from them all weekend, even though they came off the truck pretty slow. Um, and you know, I think that going into Memorial day, you know, this is a reason for them to be even more hungry, uh, going into that next race, because, you know, this was a race, nobody had won the community bank 154 times much much less four times in a row this is an opportunity jason corliss might not have had or might not ever get again so i think it leaves a bad taste in their mouth to to know that you know just a a a series of just bad circumstances um you know kept them from from getting four in a row kept them from even having even having a shot uh and you know they they just weren't there at the end because they were on the they were on the hook at lap 50 something lap 60 i think it was so um you know it's it's tough but i i don't think that you know what i talked about last week with them maybe finding a plateau really applies here because it was just bad luck uh if anything this weekend for them gave me confidence that you know they're going to be just as good as they were the last three four years i will i'm gonna i wish we had some like imaging like radio style imaging for this but i'm going to i think double down triple down quadruple down uh, Jason Corliss is going to win the Memorial Day Classic. I'm calling it now. It's uh, May 4th when we're recording this. So if you want to take that prediction to the bank, I am I'm very confident that that team's going to come out. That team's going to figure it out because they are a great team. And I, I am saying it now, Nick. Jason Corliss, Memorial Day Classic winner. Take it to the bank. Well, I don't I, think I, we have some gambling, gambling on their local cars. But if we did, I'd take it to the bank. <laughs> well... Um, you know, another one, one last thing before we, we move on, um, you know, since we've been doing this show, which I believe the first time we, we covered a race at Thunder Road was when Christopher Bell went. So what was that? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I thought, I thought we covered, covered, Was that was our that first coverage? Yeah. Okay, okay, so, okay, so we, we went, went, we went as spectators a couple times before, um, before we actually, you know, started like covering races. Okay. So okay, I remember this because you went twice. Twice. On the, on first, the first time, time I, came I came with you, with you and Phil Scott, Scott won, won. I was like, I, like, I, I thought Scott, Scott, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know how good Phil Scott was. Scott was, was, was kind of won for a while. He won his my first race and then back at Thunder Road. Road. And then he went again for a weekend. Well, I went. I went. 
I went every weekend. Wait, I, you I, went I, every, I went every weekend. weekend. But in the but history, in the history of, the of the show, the show's the show's first time covering a race at Thunder Road was um was when Christopher Bell went. But anyway, my point is that was sometime in 2019. I can, I can I have, I have a photo. Governor's Cup 2019. Um, you know, so that was uh, <laughs> that was the last time Jason Corliss failed to finish a race at Thunder Road, uh, <laughs> and that was the last time he had anything more than a tire mark on the side of his car at Thunder Road. So, um, you know, really an impressive stretch there. And but when you look at how their season has started. Um, because remember they were in the super late model at Hickory and they blew the engine on night one. So, um, you know, they didn't even get to race that second night. So there's a mechanical failure in the super late model. And then their second race of the year, they go out and they, they get in a crash. So, you know, for a team that prides itself, and I know Jason as a driver really prides himself on taking care of his equipment. Um, you know, for them to DNF their first two races that they show up to the track this year, uh, you know, that's got to make them that's got to make him pretty hungry to go out and win the Memorial Day Classic. So I wouldn't be shocked if he went out there and won it. Um, but, you know, I, I think I, I think you're – I'm not going to call you completely crazy, but I think you're crazy for um, for saying that – for calling Corliss as a lock, calling anyone as a lock. You know, I don't care. Richard Petty in his prime could show up to Thunder Road. but And after what I saw on Sunday, I am not calling anyone a lock for the rest of the season until I see somebody go out and absolutely dominate a 150 lap race and lead every lap and win by a straightaway. Uh, because you know, that Sunday was just, wow. Uh, you know, that was, that was not knowing who in the world is going to win that race with 50 laps to go. And that's the best feeling ever as a race fan. So just to circle back on this loop, the first race we went to at Thunder Road that we went to as fans was June 27th, and then a couple of days, 2019, and then about seven days later, we interviewed Steve Phelps, of president of NASCAR. Remember that? We interviewed Steve Phelps, yep. and then we went to our first Thunder Road race as a coverage squad on July 18th, So because my birthday was at the Sunday of the New Hampshire race, so all the uh, NASCAR people were up, so that was the first time since then we have had a pandemic i have had a kid that the kid has learned to walk uh nick has had multi- nick is a store manager now um like a lot has changed since jason corliss last dnf'd and and i i don't i i watch i want to put this out there it was not my first race as, as a fan at thunder road i've been going to thunder road my first race at thunder road some of our listeners might enjoy this some of them might think wow i'm really old and this kid's really young um, my first race at Thunder Road was actually the Governor's Cup, but 2008. Tony Stewart was there. Um, also, a fun fun fact about that race, uh, won by Joey Pohl, I still remember to this day. Um, and that race was the last time Robbie Crouch drove at Thunder Road, and he ended up flipping uh, on the front stretch and sliding down pit road. And I remember it to this day, looking at the roster and saying, why the hell is this guy from Tampa, Florida racing in Vermont? And now I just look at, I look back at that day and say, oh, if you could only appreciate what you were watching that night. 
so that's that was that's my story of my first time at Thunder Road and a, a very uh, one that I will always remember and uh, you know just that that was uh, one heck of a, a race to to randomly pick as as well I didn't randomly pick it I was a, the biggest Tony Stewart fan in the world I had to be there um, but you know that that night got me hooked but uh, you know thinking back you know and circling back to knowing so much about what Robbie Crouch did in the in the history of uh, local uh, of this of our area's racing over his career and just you know thinking back is, is who the hell is that guy from tampa florida and what's he doing in vermont uh it's kind of funny to think about that um but anyway back on track here back on so, track. let's talk about let's talk about scott dragon next because wow uh was this su- the surprise of the weekend or what i i don't know i i think my personal expectations for scott dragon were a little bit lower than this i was expecting him to be you know to come in and say all right you know top if he gets a top 10 it'll be a great day um you know he came out and on saturday they were dead last in one of the practice sessions you know they had a brand new car they were working it out but they were not fast on saturday and then on sunday they found something um and that that thing was an absolute rocket all day sunday uh, by the last practice session they were up to p3 on the charts and in the race, I mean, they drove from, uh, you know, I think 14th. I'll have to check where he actually started, but he was up in the lead. 50, 50, 50 laps is all it took him to get to the to get to the front. It was obviously short-lived, and we'll talk about that in a second because it's the hottest topic in Vermont right now. Um, but you know, overall, without the wreck, Scott Dragon impressed the hell out of me this weekend. Um, to come into this car, a completely new situation, a completely new team. Um, and, you know, Todd Root has been around a, for a while as an owner, and he won a race as an owner last year with Stephen Donahue. So don't, uh, I'm not out here saying, you know, it's, uh, you know, I was expecting Scott to be a backmarker. I wasn't expecting that, but my goodness, that car could have won this race easily. It might have been the best car there. The way yeah, they, no, they, race, had, um, um, they had a great, they had, yeah, they had so much speed coming out there, and it was really interesting to see him go all the way to the front. And you know, we'll talk about the contact in the incident, but I didn't, I don't think anybody was really going to have anything for Scott Dragon. It, it didn't, you know, it didn't seem like anything anybody had anything for him at that point, and I thought he was about to drive away with it, really. Well, I'll tell you, Kyle Pembroke was putting on one hell of a pace to begin that race. I mean, mm-hmm. that was. He was he was wheeling that thing, and that 27 car was really fast. Um, and Scott was that caution came out um, for I believe that was when um, Sean Swallow spun out and Tyler Cahoon blew the tire uh, like simultaneously. So the caution can't, comes out, and now all of a sudden it's Scott. He gets you know that deficit is gone. And he's right there with Kyle Pembroke. Um, and, you know, that's all he needed. Um, I think – and that's why the that's why the wreck frustrates me so much is because Scott had a fast enough car that where if he would have just waited like a few more laps, even if the outside wasn't working for him, even if he had to, you know, settle back in behind Pembroke and make another attack and maybe run on the inside, Scott would have passed him and Scott would have been gone. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. – that's – that's just how that's just how it is um and so that it frustrates me to think about that 
And I feel awful for Scott. I mean, you could just tell he was he was dejected more than anything. Um, but you know, that's they have so much to look forward to after being able to come out and run like that. It's you know they they should be really excited about what what they have um, you know coming up for them. But ultimately, as we all know, it ended uh, with uh, some contact and Scott getting a little bit of a a little bit of loose uh losing the whole the handle of the car a little bit and uh that that was it and uh he pounded the outside wall um i was looking at the underneath uh the, the underneath of that car for a little bit riding the catch fence um and that was a jaw to the floor moment i think to say the least yeah, that was I was uh oh, man, I was worried for the flag man for a second but for you know because I uh we know him pretty well. I, that car just just it was really weird how the contact made it jump. It really jumped the shark kind of. Um it was just really, you know, I I feel bad about that incident because I don't really think you know, you can tell when you dump somebody unintentionally and you can tell when somebody, you know, just gets woed up in front of you and you have nowhere to go. Right. Like Pembroke, I don't think Pembroke has ever put anybody in the wall ever in my, I, I've never seen him put anyone in the wall. So I don't think he was intentionally doing it. And I think it was just a, that was just a, you know, cautions breed cautions because, you know, you get stacked up on the restart type of thing. And that, uh, you know, those factors we've talked about how the top lane wasn't coming in. So, you know, Scott was trying to do what he could do to get to that bottom lane and get that, you know, advantage. And it just didn't end well for either of those guys because, you know, now, you know, Pembroke's got a lot of people at Thunderbird who were just pissed at him for just because just that's how that's how she goes, right? And then Dragon's got his car leaving on a flatbed. And I don't know, you know, I saw when I was walking out on Sunday, I took a look at it and I'm just like, that's going to take a lot of work to, you know, get back to the track. That's, that's, that's some serious man hours right there. Well, I mean, I think uh, to put it lightly, I think both Kyle Pembroke and Scott Dragon are very glad that there's really a month before the next race. Um, Scott Dragon's case, I mean, they, they'll, they'll get the car ready, but the you know whole front end needs to be you know redone. It's it's going to need a, a new front clip, obviously. Um, yeah. The rest of the car, though, I, I think they 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 were able to save it, so that's good news. Um, but you know that is going to be that's going to be some work, and they've got a month to do it, so they should be fine. Uh, but Kyle Pembroke, I mean, for the way, you know, people have been reacting on social media, I completely disagree with how they are reacting. Um, and I second what you said. Kyle Pembroke has, in my time watching and covering races, Kyle Pembroke has not once put somebody in the wall on purpose or or used his race car to as, as a weapon. Um, and there's a lot of people accusing him of that in the last two days and that's really frustrating to see because you know kyle's a great kid um and he drives his ass off and and he works really hard every time he's behind the wheel um and he drives with respect you know people generally from what i've heard people generally enjoy racing against kyle pembroke and you know this was a case of both drivers messing up just a little bit and making it look really really bad um you know, this is something that happens all the time. Um, you know, watch close when these guys go into turn one, go into turn, 
going to turn three. Same thing happened last year tons of times. I mean, remember the big wreck last year with Matt Smith and Boomer Morris? Well, I was just just about to mention that because, you know, if that wreck happens going into the corners, Scott Dragon gets pushed up the track. He gets woed out of the groove. We're not really talking about this today. It's because of where that wreck happened and the fact that the only place that zero car was going to go to was the wall. And there was no chance, you know, to catch it and woe it back up. You know, that happens in, you know, going into corner one, you know, Dragon goes up into the wall. I think he continues on. We don't have this conversation. It goes into corner three. I think it's the same thing. It's just because of they were coming out of that corner and that's where he hit. And it, it kind of, you know, I, I don't like people on social media going after somebody thinking that this is some type of intentional type of thing. Right. You've got a like, lot of Facebook drivers out there. Like, let's look at like let's look at Kyle Pembrooks. Like, how many times have we mentioned Kyle on this show? Because he's never he I he's just he's a clean, you know, you could tell if somebody would do it intentionally, but like why would Kyle have an issue with Scott? Right. Like they wouldn't even have an issue to begin with. So like there's no history of beef there. It's very clearly a racing incident, and I think people can be mad for a day or two because, yeah, it sucks when you, you know your equipment gets junk. But don't go after Kyle; he's just an everyday racer. You know, Scott's an everyday racer. They, I hope they have a conversation if they haven't already. You know, and be like, yeah, that's just it is what it is. It's just the way she goes because it's just not, it's not fair. And we saw that last year with that Matt Smith incident you were talking about, where you know a driver is just getting nailed and is getting nailed and it's short track racing you know it it happens like you're gonna have a bunch of dust up sometimes where a car gets loose a car is coming too fast our car gets tight okay just and people just you know if it was an intentional wreck you would know it's an intentional wreck and it's clearly not it was a racing incident it was you know nobody you know the second place car is not going to take out a dude on lap 50 of a 150 lap race intentionally right like that's not going to happen like it's just it was a racing incident i hope people look at it as such well and i've you know sat down and watched the video a bunch of times because i'm interested in seeing you know what actually went into this and it it all starts it's you know this did start in turn three um you know this did start by scott dragon coming down slightly on Kyle Pembroke. There's a lot of people that are saying Pembroke kind of dove below into the speed bumps. He didn't. Kyle Pembroke held the racing line into turn three. Scott Dragon came down. I mean, he wasn't clear maybe by two inches. That's how close it was. It was about as close as you could get. You know, it was a, it was a calculated risk for Dragon to cut down and tried to clear the 27 car because he was on the outside going down the backstretch. He got a great run off of two, and they go into three. Dragon's pretty much got him cleared, but on lap 50, lap 55, you know, that's it's tough to, you know, kind of say, I would do this, I would do that. But, you know, it, it's – it well, ultimately what it was is was a result of the track being one lane. At that point, yeah. Scott wanted to complete the pass right then and there. I think he kind of assumed Pembroke would back out. And I think Kyle Pembroke really, you know, was sitting here saying, okay, I didn't win a race last year. I have an opportunity in a brand new car to go win a race for my sponsor in the first race in front of a near capacity crowd in two years and win an ACT race at the same time. And so I think Kyle Pembroke, 
could have backed out. I think Scott Dragon could have stayed on the outside, and we wouldn't have had this problem. Uh, but, I mean, Scott was basically loose from the beginning of turn three to the exit of turn four, and he was trying to save it. Kyle was trying to stay off of him, and they make contact again, like, right at the exit of four, and that's what turned Dragon into the wall, was Scott was so loose, and he was trying to overcorrect it, and that hit from Pembroke there at the very end caused him to caused him to overcorrect to the right, caused that car to hook into the, uh, caused those tires to hook and, you know, get that grip and ultimately turned him right into the outside wall. There's nothing, nothing he could do right there. He was trying to save the car. Kyle, I think, was trying to stay off of him. You know, it's, if you are, my message to the people on Facebook is, well, first of all, just, just calm down. Um, <laughs> and second of all, you know, nobody did this on purpose. This was a racing incident. I know it sucks for Scott Dragon to have to go and rebuild that car. It sucks that Kyle Pembroke got sent to the back uh, because he had a damn fast race car uh, and had a really good shot at winning this race. So I feel awful for both of them. Nobody did this on purpose. You know, if you really think Kyle Pembroke is going to go in there and, and drive through Scott Dragon, like some people are saying he did, because... Kyle Pembroke has been racing here a long time. His his career at Thunder Road's been it's nearing ten years now, and you're gonna sit here and tell me that he has, or that he is, um, you know, he knows the rules. He knows that if you wreck the leader from second place, you're both going to the back. You know, how does that make any sense for him? Why would that make any sense for him to go and drive through Scott Dragon like some of you are saying? Well, it, it doesn't thing, make any sense. Another thing to think about for Kyle Pembroke is that, you know, if he tries to really woe up there because Scott's loose in front of him, Pembroke's going to get taken out. Like, it was coming out of a restart. Like, you, there was nowhere – there really was no other option for Kyle there just to just keep driving it and hope nothing happened and stuff can happen. Because, you know, if he woes up and gets on the brakes, you know, he's on the, he's in the lane. That is the one good lane that stacks up the inside lane. And I don't even want to think of what happens if you stack up the inside lane, you take out more cars that way. Like, so I don't, you know, I think it's a racing incident and I would hope that the people who are really mad about this online, you know, I haven't seen any of the Facebook drama because I'd stay off Facebook because I think it's just, it's unfair to Kyle. I feel really bad for Kyle because he's going to go through this right now. You know, he, he had a fast car. He had a really good, you know, he had a really good shot at winning that race. And, you know, he gets sent to the back afterwards and he wasn't able to come back from that. So, you know, it just, it's just a racing deal and it's really unfortunate. Yeah. And it is, but you know, people have not had any racing to talk about for, you know, since October. So, I mean, go back to the milk bowl. Uh, you know, with Bobby Therrien and Stephen Donahue, there was a lot of people upset about that one on both sides uh, last year. So, you know, no matter what, there's always going to be something that happens and uh, people are going to be mad about it on both sides. But, no, I, ultimately, just a racing deal. And my message to, to all our listeners out there, if you are considering yourself mad at the world because because of this crash, you know, just it's going to be okay, man. Or woman, like <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's just one of those things where you know they'll they're both gonna be back from Memorial Day. All these people that are out there saying, oh, there's gonna be payback. No, that's not gonna happen. Uh, Scott handled this very professionally. I, you know, I, I forgot to mention that. I mean, Scott in our interview that we did, which is on our Facebook page. I mean, definition of class in that interview. He could have been, he 
in a very frustrating moment he could have um you know launched some launched some attacks uh but you know i think he knew what happened and i think he he knew he was racing incident he knew kyle didn't do it on purpose as frustrating as you as fr frustrated as he was with kyle i'm sure at the time you know he chose not to he chose to take it like a, a pro and uh you know that's that's a moment that I'll respect for uh, the rest of Scott Dragon's career right there. So, uh, and you should too. Um, so, let's move on now uh, and talk to our third place finisher um, from the days uh, from the days events at uh, Thunder Road, the Community Bank 150. Uh, we talked with him about the race, about the Hoosier tires, and about a variety of other different things as well. So let's uh, turn it over now to Marcel Gravel. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Inside Groove podcast, episode number five, and a busy week as uh, we recap, uh, a lot to recap about the uh, Community Bank 150 on Sunday, and uh, we're joined now by the man who finished third in that race, his best career finish in the American Canadian Tour, uh, and a solid start to begin the year. It's Marcel Gravel, driver of the number 86 Pete's Equipment Toyota Camry. Marcel, how are we doing today? Doing good, buddy. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's we're, it's gonna be a long month now after that taste that we got at Thunder Road. I know a lot of guys. Uh, for some people, they're uh, they, they need all the all the time they can get to work on their cars to get them ready for uh, for Memorial Day. But uh, after Sunday, I'm ready to be back at the track. Yesterday, uh, so uh, we're off to a great start to begin the year, and you are as well. Uh, I mean, it doesn't count for Thunder Road points. You're not running ACT points this year, but uh, kind of what what kind of momentum boost is it for you to start off the year with a, a P3 in a in a tour race and a Crown Jewel event at Thunder Road? Oh, I mean, I think even though you know, like you said, it doesn't count for any sort of points or anything, it helps just to go into the points counting stuff kind of on a positive note. I mean, there's plenty of Thunder Road guys that aren't going into it on a positive note. You know, that guys that don't normally struggle in those kind of races that ran into trouble or just didn't have their cars right. And um, thankfully me and my guys, we were able to avoid most of the carnage. I mean, we got a little bit of damage, but nothing crazy. And um, we made gains on the race car all weekend long. So uh, I think we're really going to, you know, start it off strong once we start counting them for points. So it was kind of all over the place on, on Sunday. Once we got to like the 50 lap point, when all the cautions started coming, um, what do you try to do as a driver? Like, do you, does your mindset change on, you know, what you're trying to do when you see a race kind of go wild like it did on Sunday and all of a sudden, because I mean, it started out for the most part, it started out a really calm race, but uh, just snap of the fingers, it, it went from zero to 10. So um, how do you kind of approach it? Do you approach it any differently, you know, strate strategizing for those last hundred laps or so? Yeah. I mean, normally I have the same approach to all the longer races, um, but you know, on Sunday, it kind of went out the window because we were just not very good when the race started. I mean, uh, we were, we started 11th and I mean, it didn't take us long. We were in like 15th and we were falling fast. So, um, I kind of knew like by lap 10, I was like, boy, we're in trouble if we don't get an early yellow here. Like we're going to end up going a lap down and like this day is going to pretty well be over for us. So, um, my whole mindset for the race kind of had to change because I knew as soon as we got a caution that we were coming to pit road caution lap 17 brought it in and I told dad, I said, you know, we got to have something out there right now. And, um, then again, the whole mindset has to change for the race because now you're in 
probably, I guess there's probably 27 of us out there at the time. I mean, we're in 27th, like we got to go because it's not going to be that long. Kyle was, you know, setting a torrid pace there at the beginning. And I mean, if you don't roll at that point, you know, you're going to go a lap down. So um, that race and how I went about it really changed quite a few times during the course of the event. So that's pretty unusual. I'm normally able to have a plan going in and kind of go with it, but that one, you know, like it was wrecks everywhere while it was wrecks in my head on what I wanted to do and when I wanted to do it. And obviously I think one of the factors that kind of led to things being so crazy on Sunday was the debut of the Hoosiers. Um, so now that you got 150 laps on them, uh, and, and you've seen them in the race conditions. I know early on in the race, it was really a one groove racetrack, but it looked like towards the end, especially it worked out for, um, for both, for really everybody, because at the end of that race, we had, you know, Brooks Clark and Trampus Demers battling side by side for the win. And then, uh, you and Moody were battling side by side for third. So, um, you know, just take us through overall what you, what you're thinking about them and, and how they affected the race maybe differently than the American racers would have. Yeah. Um, I think the track went through, I mean, maybe it was just for me, but I feel like it kind of wasn't, um, based off what I was seeing, I feel like the track went through like multiple changes in that race. Like at the beginning of the race, kind of like you said, you know, we were all kind of doubled up and like the outside was struggling right from the get go. And, um, it was making it a real, you know, fight for the bottom. So at that point you're having to probably use your rear tires more than you want to, to try to keep the nose up to the guy in front of you. Um, and then honestly around like the middle of the race, um, once we kind of started our charge back up through there, it was like the outside was good for me for a few laps and I would be really good. So I was like, all right, we're going to like roll the top here and we'd roll it for a while. And then I'd get going and all of a sudden I'd be losing spots again. And we would have to fight to get back to the bottom and, it was like it just kept changing like it and it wasn't like any certain amount of laps or anything like that and obviously I don't think the you know sun kind of really came and went during the race um it was just the Hoosier rubber was reacting different for me at least like there was times where I felt like I was going to drive right to the lead on the top and all of a sudden I'm losing five or six spots because I jumped out of line to try to go so uh, it was good. Like, it's good that we got that tour race under our belt on these Hoosiers because I felt like I really learned a lot and I was able to relay, you know, information to dad to help him adjust on it and have a different plan when we go back. Now, and we talked, I, t- I touched on that, that battle there at the end with Brendan. I mean, uh, that was, you know, one heck of a fight there for third. I know uh, once Brooks and, and Trampus really settled their, uh, their score there at for the for the top spot a lot of the eyes went to that third place spot with you and brendan uh you know take us through running that late in the race you know not really sure what the tires are going to do um you know running side by side with brendan and how how you ultimately were able to get the spot and finish on the podium yeah i mean it was it was kind of tough because i felt like from where i was at in fourth um it looked like trampus and brooks were really going at it pretty heavy so i knew they weren't going to be saving anything so probably for 20 laps in the middle of the last 50 i was trying to just you know kind of keep brendan at bay because i was like you know if we get a late yellow here these guys are gonna have cooked tires like the outside might not go but i mean at this point in the race you kind of like you can't be thinking about that kind of stuff it's just it's gonna go or it's not gonna go so um i was kind of trying to save my stuff because i was you know the cautions just kept coming it seemed like 
And if I could just ride in fourth and I think Ben Rowe was behind me. So I knew he wasn't going to be doing anything foolish. I felt like he probably had the same kind of thoughts that I had about, we knew neither of us were going to get the win in the position we were in. So we had to just wait as long as we could. And finally dad queued up the radio probably 15, 20 to go, whatever it was there with Brendan and uh, said it was time to go. So I just took a couple more laps and try to figure out what his car was doing versus what mine was doing. And uh, we were able to put the crossover on him and, he crossed me back over and thankfully, you know, he, he's a very talented race car driver. So I wasn't worried that we were going to wreck, you know, like that was the best part about it. I mean, me and him right there are just two guys that didn't expect to be running third on Sunday and we're taking the gloves off and we're going at it. We're not racing each other dirty. We're just racing each other hard. So uh, it was really a pleasure racing with Brendan, honestly. And thankfully right at that moment, the top kind of seemed like it was in for a few laps and uh, I was able to get back by him and, at that point, I I needed a caution. You know, I knew third was where I was going to be. So um, we were pretty happy to be there. So moving on now towards kind of the bigger picture here, you got a new sponsor this offseason. We did a little bit of a story about it when it first came out. I know you're really pumped up about it, and I know that you think that it, it can help put you over the top. So Pete's Equipment, uh, they've jumped on with you this year. Um, kind of tell us uh, tell us about them and, and what they're doing and and uh, how they're going to be able to help you guys uh, you know really make a serious run of the championship this year yeah uh, Pete's equipment is a very big I didn't even realize how big they were until I started you know obviously hanging around them and everything like that they're a really big equipment company in Morseville they do everything from sell them work on them rent them you know pretty much anything you can do with heavy machinery they do it and they're just growing. So like they, they love this kind of stuff. Um, they're really into it. Jason, I was just barely there, you know, dropping off the trophy because uh, they want it there. You know, they want to show it off to people when they come into their showroom and everything like that. And I mean, they're just huge into it right now. And I just, I caught them at the right time where they're, they're growing and they feel like, you know, I can help them grow, grow with them. Um, it's one of those sponsorships that you just, you hope your whole life that you're going to come across it. And, um, most guys don't, unfortunately not for lack of effort on anybody's part, but, um, thankfully I found my guys, you know what I mean? Like they're really into it. And like they have 11 employees, I think, or something like that. And every one of them is into it. Like when I was there today, they were talking to me about it and just their support is huge. You know, like Jason's constantly texting me, you know, asking me if there's anything he can do, like if there's anything we need, if we need some tires, you know, and everything. And we've already, you know, settled the money side of it. So he doesn't have to be doing, you know, any, any of that stuff, but he's so into it and trying to do whatever he can, like, you know, to give us the best opportunity to win and run good and all that sort of stuff that he's willing to do whatever it takes right now. And to have that kind of support, you know, financially and like emotionally from all those guys is just, is really big for us. So, um, you know, you guys obviously a small team, um, kind of, you, you kind of make up, uh, what I think Thunder Road is built from and racing it together is built from, you know, just a small family team, you, your dad, you know, fa family team, couple of crew members, um, that help out a ton, but you're going up against, you know, the big, big teams. Uh, I mean, really the biggest teams in the state of Vermont, you know, your Corliss is your, Bobby Therians, your Trampus Demers, um, you know, how do you guys face those challenges of, you know, simply being out-resourced and out-manned every single week, but still go out and are able to run with these guys consistently? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, no doubt, man, but um, me and my dad, we're just cut a little bit different, I guess, you know, you just got to want it, like, bad, you know, you, you just have to want it, 
I mean, obviously you can't want it, you know, like into existence, the work has to be there too. And that's one thing my father has pushed into me from a young age, you know, especially when it comes to this race and stuff and in normal life, you know, if you want it, you know, you can't sit there and want it and not do anything about it and then wonder why you don't have it. You know, you got to work for it. So, I mean, we're just not willing to give up. Like we're just not, these guys push us to, you know, limits that we didn't even think that we, you know, could get to honestly. And we just have to keep growing and we have to keep doing our job and that's to work on that race car, you know, as much as need be. I mean, we don't have lives outside of it really. And just the dedication from my father, you know, as far as getting the car ready and, you know, doing all the setup stuff and just never ending work, you know, and he's always had my back, you know, and he never questions anything that I do on the racetrack or anything like that. And I mean, at the end of the day, I just, it just comes down to, we just want it, you know, like you, we, we're not willing to, you know, settle. Like there's a lot of guys that would settle and be happy with third and don't get me wrong. We were happy with third. And I mean, my guys were pumped up. I was pumped up, but at the end of the day, like that's, you know, that's not what we're there for. You know, I tried to stand there and watch Jason do the champion lap because when you're standing in the infield, like the, there was guys that weren't, you know, watching him do it. And I, and I noticed that, and I wanted to watch him do it because not because I dislike Jason Corliss, because I like Jason Corliss, but that's that's where we want to be, you know, like that's the guy right now. So that's who I'm after, you know, and like I said, it's not because I dislike Jason or his crew. They're all great guys or anything like that, but they're just pushing us to the next level right now. And me and my dad are able to step up and, you know, get after it and try to run those guys down. And they're certainly not the only ones. Thunder Road is full of a bunch of guys that just motivate us to be better. Like you said, when you think about the resources and everything from Trampus to Bobby to Jason, I mean, Matt White, all these guys, you know, that they're, they're out there, they're spending the money. They, they have the newest stuff. They have, they have everything that they need and we're just willing to try to outwork them to try to beat them. Yeah. And obviously you talked about your dad. I know you guys have a very, very close relationship. He was obviously a uh, many fans will know it. Remember him from, um, you know, the, the last 20 years driving late models at, at Thunder Road as well. So, you know, what's it like to kind of have um, somebody like your dad who's been there before uh, and knows what, you know, knows what you are facing as a racer to, you know, be the crew chief, be the lifeblood of your team. And, uh, you know, what is he able to use from that situation to be able to teach you to, to better yourself? Yeah. Um, I think my dad, you know, he never had, he never had what I have. And like my dad was the brains of the operation when he raced, like he had great help. My grandfather and my uncle helped my dad every race he ever raced, I think. And, and they did everything that they could. And I mean, they knew stuff too, you know, but my dad was having to maintain a car himself. Like my grandfather again would help, you know, but he had his own stuff going on. And my dad is really, made sure that I'm able to focus on, you know, the stuff that he wasn't able to focus on so much, you know, he doesn't try to make me have to worry about what adjustments we're going to make on the race car. Um, it's not up to me, you know, he's, he's the crew chief, you know, at the racetrack it's, it's on him. Like I tell him what it's doing and what I think I need and he goes to work and he's just been in a lot of these positions before, you know, whether it was in the late models or in the tigers or anything like that. I know of many years where he was, you know, one of the guys for the Tigers division, you know, going for the championship, coming down late to the, you know, the end of the year and what you need to do and what you need to not do. And 
he's really good about, um, you know, telling me, you know, what I not what just what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. Like we have a very open relationship when it comes to the race and stuff. Like it's not all soft. They can tell you that, you know, when I do something and if I need to know about that, I know about it. So uh, he's just able to take so much pressure off of me, you know, and put it onto himself that I'm able to just go out there and race the race car and try to tell him what I need to go faster. And that's exactly what he wants. Now, um, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you guys are tied on the all-time wins list for late models at Thunder Road. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and say when that happens. Uh, what's that car ride going to be like on the way back to Morrisville? Oh, it's going to be pretty quiet, man, because let me tell you what, I, I tell it to everybody all the time because he just sits in the background, you know, like he doesn't want any of the praise that he gets, like, he wants none of that sort of stuff. Like he's just not that kind of guy. He doesn't go there for that reason. He goes there to see me do the best that I can do. And that's what he wants to make sure that, you know, happens. And I mean, if it was up to him and if he could do it all without even being seen, I think that he would. So um, I certainly won't be razzing him much because even when I get three, you know, if I get three, um, I wouldn't have one of them without him, you know, whether it's a late model win or street stock, go-kart, you know, video game when we were doing new and used deal, like I wouldn't have one of the wins or be any kind of the driver that I am without the guy. So uh, I hope to pass him, you know, that what that's like passing your hero. Like I'm sure that's how Kyle Busch feels, you know, when he passes these guys on the wins list and stuff like that. And I hope to pass him, but uh, I certainly won't be razzing him too hard because like I said, without him, I wouldn't have any of it. You know, we wouldn't be here doing this interview. That's for sure. So you're what five years into this now, um so if you can go back five five years rookie year and tell yourself something that you know now as a late model driver that you didn't know back then what would that be keep digging you know don't don't listen to the people you know like uh, i was too soft when i came into this sport and there's there's hundreds of people out there that hate me for <laughs> for absolutely no reason you know because they think they know who i am and i i it used to bother me a tremendous amount, honestly. And now it's just, I would just tell that kid, you know, that everybody says can't do it. And, you know, everybody says, isn't ready and all that sort of stuff that, uh, you know, just keep hustling because the melt bowl is going to come and you're going to sit on the pole and be in absolute awe that you did it, you know, and a childhood dream is going to happen for you. And, you know, you're going to win in late models and just don't stop. You know, you just, you can't give up. People suck and just understand that and just never give up on it. So uh, last year, obviously, was it started out great, didn't finish out so great. But I feel like I, I was talking about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I feel like it was a big learning experience for you to go through those last five or so weeks of the year where you guys lost the championship lead and just had that huge slide. So kind of take us back to what that was like for you as a driver to experience that about as hard of a hardship as you can have. Um, and then what did you take from that, that you're going to apply into 2021 and beyond? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really tough, honestly. You know, I, I had been in the, the position before for going for the championship and everything like that when in go-karts and stuff. And I mean, that's when you're such a young kid, you know, so like you don't understand that pressure. You just are there to go as fast as you possibly can go and do the best as you can do. So you can't really unfortunately take any of that sort of stuff when you get to this level, because I mean, at the end of the day, like 
when we finished second there on midseason, like it became a very real possibility in my mind of me becoming the king of the road. And I mean, even just saying it to you gives me goosebumps, man, because like that's just stuff that I was always told was not attainable by, you know, myself or by me and my father. And and I think that's what keeps us going. So it really sucked because I felt like we didn't we didn't really do anything different. You know, the last half we were just trying, you know, so hard to stay ahead of it and stay with the track. And I mean, I, a couple of times I just was being a knucklehead, you know, trying to get too much. And it just, I, I think you like, I listened to your show and I think you kind of nailed it. I mean, I don't think I, I crumbled necessarily under the pressure, but I absolutely let the pressure of it all and the thought of it all, you know, kind of get the better of me. Like I'm driving that race car and I'm out there counting points and like, you can't do that crap. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you just got to go out and race. So, um, I think if it gets down to that at the end of this year, I'm just not going to do a thing different. You know what I mean? I'm just going to get out there and just keep doing what I've been doing all year long at that point. And we'll see how it falls after that. Like you said, I think, uh, it was obviously it was really crappy to go through, but it, uh, it made me a lot tougher of a competitor, I think, for if we get to do it again this year. Now, in a lot of circles that, you know, I've heard just, you know, people talking, um, especially guys, you know, of, of the older generation of Thunder Road and the Thunder Road community, the, you're one of the first names that comes up when they talk about, you know, the budding stars, like the next superstars of the, of Thunder Road. Um, you know, I'm sure that you've heard that too. Um, what does that mean to kind of be talked about in that, in that, uh, you know, kind of regard to, to, you know, being one of those, one of the future stars and, you know, kind of from, you know, uh, some pretty prominent people. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just means all the work was worth it. You know, like at the end of the day, you don't do it for anything besides to go out there and race and win races. You know, you don't do it for the glory of the, the local fame or anything like that. And it just means all the, you know, missed basketball practices and sitting on the bench at basketball games. Cause you get practice cause your race car needed to be worked on. And you know, on that girl, or you didn't go hang out with your friends or, you know, you didn't go to that party and all that sort of stuff. It just makes it worth it when, you know, some of these guys come up to you and they're like, Hey man, you know, like you do what you're doing or, you know, we really, you know, recognize that you guys are small, you know, small team and you guys are really hustling out there. So, I mean, I really like it. It's really cool to hear it from, you know, some of these guys and, you know, guys that I just never dreamed would, you know, even know my name, you know, I just hope that they would someday. And um, so to actually have it kind of come, true is you know it's really cool i kind of am just living my childhood dream really every day because i mean i've told a lot of people this but i don't think i've ever told you it i mean it's like this is as good as it gets for me you know what i mean like all my life i wanted to be a late model driver at thunder road and i wanted to race in nascar and everything well i'm not going to nascar and um i just need to enjoy what i'm doing right now because it's pretty awesome and uh, I said it on a show I was on last week is like, there's a lot of these guys down there that would love to be in the position that I'm in. So I'm just trying to uh, do my best to really enjoy it more and soak it up and, you know, be like, Hey, you know, this is what you've been wanting to do your whole life. So you just got to really enjoy it. So I get you out of here. One last question. It's going to make okay. you think, I think a little bit, I'm not sure. Maybe you've got it already in your mind. Maybe you've had, you know, the daydreams, but if you could have one at the end of your career, but not both, 
Would you rather be the winner of a milk bowl or would you rather be a king of the road? Woof. That's a that's a question right there. Oh man. You know what? I mean, obviously two, you know, super prestigious, you know, deals. Um I'm going to go with king of the road because, you know, not any, I don't want to say like anybody can have a good melt. Cause that's not true. You, you have to be really stout to win a melt bowl. But I mean, you know, if you just hit it right on that Sunday, you know, you could win that melt bowl. And if you want to win the championship at Thunder road, if there's 18 races, you better do damn good in all 18 of them, because these guys are serious. You know, this is some, a serious late model division in the country. Honestly, like when you look around as far as how deep the talent runs, the car count, everything like that. Like it's a big deal. Like, and we're all pretty spoiled with it. So I guess I'm going to have to go with it. I, I definitely, when it's all said and done, if I could look back and be like, Hey, you know, at least we got that King of the road. Um, I'd be pretty happy with that, but I still want to kiss that cow. <laughs> well, if uh, the trajectory continues the way it is right now, I wouldn't be shocked if you get an opportunity at both. So uh, thanks, Marcel, for coming on, joining us. Uh, obviously, great talking to you as always. And uh, maybe we'll have you on again here at some point as the season winds on. I know it's a, a long year this year. This year should hopefully make the COVID shortened 2020 uh, feel a little bit longer um, than uh, than last year did. Um, but, yeah, we're excited to see what you can do this year. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. And I mean, I think I speak on behalf of most of the local racers down there. Thank you for doing what you do, you know, giving us this platform and walking around the pits and trying to talk to all of us when we're mad or happy or whatever. So, we, um, you know, it's not it's not an easy job. I think it's a thankless job. So we appreciate what you do. So thank you for having me and we'll talk to you soon. All right. So good. To talk with Marcel, as always, as we talked about earlier in the show, he's become a very good friend of the podcast. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, always – it's really cool to see what he's doing and, and you know, going up against the big dogs with uh, just that family team. And uh, determination gets them to where they want to be. And, uh, you know, we talked about it in our season preview last week. I think Marcel's got a real good shot at, at coming out and maybe surprising some people with a championship, if not this year. And – in the next few years, um, you know, he's heading for one. So uh, yeah. we'll see We'll see how that goes. But uh, obviously, best of luck to him and, and a huge thank you uh, to him for, for hopping on. So, uh, Dustin, this week, it looks like uh, looks like we might be off. Yeah. Um, I know I can't go up to White Mountain this weekend because it's it not only is it Mother's Day on Sunday, I just – I. I got to stop running around so much. I'm t- I had to drink Red Bull back to back days, Nick. I'm getting old. I'm getting up there. 26 really hits differently when you uh, don't take a day off. So I, I I'll be off this week. You might go to Lee USA in a couple of weeks, right? I am. Uh, I'm going to Austin, Texas in a couple of weeks. So I'm trying to, you know, hammer down and prepare for that trip to Coda as well. So I don't think I'll be out of racetrack till the Memorial day race personally. And We'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling when we come back from Austin. <laughs> yeah, White Mountain this weekend is a maybe. We'll see. Depends on uh, depends on a, a couple of different things, but um, I want to get down there to White Mountain more this year. Um, it's definitely an attainable goal. Um, I'd like to get down there, but yeah, Mother's Day weekend. We'll see what happens with that as the week goes on. 
Um, but definitely next weekend, uh, Lee USA Speedway for the American Canadian Tour. I'll be there for that. Um, I mean, and I am excited for that. Um, a track I've never met, been to. I always love going to tracks that I've never been to before. Uh, I think it's the first time. Well, Hickory obviously I'd never been to, so that was the. Uh, this will be the second second first time visit to a track for me this year but uh yeah third race of the act tour season will be at uh lee usa speedway uh coming up in two weeks so uh that should be a lot of fun next week we'll uh kind of get in and and talk about that race for a little bit and uh you know memorial day classic will be coming up uh sooner rather than later but lord knows after after sunday i am not ready to wait a month to to see cars at thunder road again yeah, and no, I wish we had like a Thursday show here in a couple of weeks. It would have been nice to go to, but you know, that's just, we'll have those Thursday shows coming soon. So I'm excited for it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So that is all we have uh, for you this week. Uh, a little bit of a shorter show today, but definitely a lot to talk about with everything that we did talk about. Um, and uh, a lot to unpack from the Community Bank uh, 150. And, you know, I could have talked three hours about this race, honestly. Oh, yeah, um, we could have. And, you know, there was just so much to talk about. But, yeah, I, I wanted to touch in with uh, with these guys and, and see uh, – or touch in with a couple of guys and, you know, talk about what I thought about their days and, and some surprises that we saw at the racetrack. So I think we covered quite a bit in this uh, hour and a half here on the Inside Groove podcast. So uh, that will be all that we have for you this week. Obviously, uh, thanks to everybody. Had a couple of uh, had some fans stop by and, and say hi a couple different occasions uh, at Thunder Road. Uh, it was really awesome to hear some feedback from our fans and and to just get to talk racing with with uh, some fans and and you know that was that was great. Um, I forgot know. to mention Nick that Paco uh, said hi to me and I totally forgot that you know he's like oh yeah get get out of the house because the baby I'm like yeah I finally got out of the house and I met. I meant to ask him what happened to him in his, in his race because he was leading and then he had to pull off. But no, he said hi to me. So it was really nice to see people on the track again. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, it's it's a group of people that we uh, go the entire winter usually without seeing. Um, you know, I think I saw I've seen a couple of guys here and there. I saw, <laughs> saw a couple of guys in the grocery store a couple of months ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, we go pretty much the entire winter without without seeing all of uh, all of our friends at the racetrack. So it's nice to see them back at Thunder Road again. And, and once again, you know, if you see us at the track, uh, feel free come by, say hi, talk a little racing with us. You know, I'll I'll talk racing all day long if uh, if that's what you want to do. Um, but yeah, thanks to uh, so thank you to everybody tuning in and uh, and listening to this podcast. Truly means a lot. Uh, and uh, we're continuing to, to try to get better every week and, and see what we can do uh, in the future with this show. But for now, that's all we got for you. Dustin, thanks for uh, joining us once again. Uh, thanks all, as always to raise dies and tubing and fast one motorsports, our uh, premier partners of the inside groove. And we will see everybody possibly at white mountain, but for sure at Lee uh, in two weeks. So have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been episode five of the inside group podcast.